Chapter Fifteen of Eight Cousins by Louisa May Alcott. The Slippervox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Fifteen, Earrings. Rose's sprain proved to be a serious one owing to neglect, and Doctor Alec ordered her to lie on the sofa for a fortnight at least. Whereat she groaned dismally but dared not openly complain, lest the boys turn on her with some of the little sermons on patience she had delivered for their benefit. It was Mac's turn now, and honorably did he repay his debt, for, as school was still forbidden, he had plenty of leisure and devoted most of it to Rose. He took many steps for her, and even allowed her to teach him to knit, after assuring himself that many a brave Scotchman knew how to click the pricks. She was obliged to take a solemn vow to secrecy, however, before he would consent, for, though he did not mind being called gig-lamps, Granny was more than his boyish soul could bear, and at the approach of any of the clan his knitting vanished as if by magic, which frequent chucking out of sight did not improve the stripe he was doing for Rose's new afghan. She was busy with this pretty work one bright October afternoon in the upper hall, while Jamie and Pokey, lent for her amusement, were keeping house in a corner, with Comet and Rose's old doll for their children's. Presently, Phoebe appeared with a card. Rose read it, made a grimace, then laughed and said, I'll see Miss Bliss, and immediately put on her company face, pulled out her locket, and settled her curls. You dear thing, how do you do? I've been trying to call every day since you got back, but I have so many engagements. I really couldn't manage it till today. So glad you are alone, for Mama said I could sit a while, and I brought my lace work to show you, for it's perfectly lovely, cried Miss Bliss, greeting Rose with a kiss, which was not very warmly returned, though Rose politely thanked her for coming, and bid Phoebe roll up the easy chair. How nice to have a maid, said Annabel, as she settled herself with much commotion. Still, dear, you must be very lonely and feel the need of a bosom friend. I have my cousins, began Rose, with dignity, for her visitor's patronizing manner ruffled her temper. Gracious child, you don't make friends of those great boys, do you? Mamma says she really doesn't think it's proper for you to be with them so much. They are like brothers, and my aunts do think it's proper, replied Rose rather sharply for it struck her that this was none of Miss Bliss's business. I was merely going to say I should be glad to have you for my bosom friend, for Hattie Mason and I have had an awful quarrel and don't speak. She is too mean to live, so I gave her up. Just think, she never paid back one of the caramels I've given her, and never invited me to her party. I could have forgiven the caramels, but to be left out in that rude way was more than I could bear and I told her never to look at me again as long as she lived. "'You are very kind, but I don't think I want a bosom friend. Thank you,' said Rose, as Annabel stopped to bridle and shake her flaxen head over the very delinquent Hattie Mason. Now, in her heart, Miss Bliss thought Rose a stuck-up puss, but the other girls wanted to know her and couldn't. The old house was a charming place to visit, the lads were considered fine fellows, and the Campbells, are one of our first families, Mama said. So Annabel concealed her vexation at Rose's coolness and changed the subject as fast as possible. Studying French, I see. Who is your teacher? 
she asked, flirting over the leaves of Paul and Virginia that lay on the table. I don't study it, for I read French as well as English, and Uncle and I often speak it for hours. He talks like a native, and says I have a remarkably good accent. Rose really could not help this small display of superiority, for French was one of her strong points, and she was vain of it, though she usually managed to hide this weakness. She felt that Annabel would be the better for a little crushing, and could not resist the temptation to do some patronizing in her turn. "'Oh, indeed,' said Miss Bliss rather blankly, for French was not her strong point by any means. "'I am to go abroad with Uncle in a year or two, and he knows how important it is to understand the languages. Half the girls who leave school can't speak decent French, and when they go abroad they are so mortified. I shall be very glad to help you, if you like, for of course you have no one to talk with at home. Now Annabel, though she looked like a wax doll, had feelings within her instead of sawdust, and these feelings were hurt by Rose's lofty tone. She thought her more stuck up than ever, but did not know how to bring her down, yet longed to do it, for she felt as if she had received a box on the ear, and involuntarily put her hand up to it. The touch of an earring consoled her, and suggested a way of returning tit for tat in a telling manner. "'Thank you, dear. I don't need any help, for our teacher is from Paris, and of course he speaks better French than your uncle.' Then she added, with a gesture of her head, that set the little bells on her ears to tinkling, "'How do you like my new earrings? Papa gave them to me last week, and everyone says they are lovely.' Rose came down from her high horse with a rapidity that was comical, for Annabel had the upper hand now. Rose adored pretty things, longed to wear them, and the desire of her girlish soul was to have her ears bored. Dr. Alec thought it foolish, however, so she never had done it. She would gladly have given all the French she could jabber for a pair of dainty golden bells with pearl-tipped tongues, like those Annabel wore. Clasping her hands, she answered in a tone that went to the hearer's heart, "'They are too sweet for anything. If Uncle would only let me wear some, I should be perfectly happy.' "'I wouldn't mind what he says. Papa laughed at me at first, but he likes them now, and says I shall have diamond solitaires when I am eighteen. said Annabel, quite satisfied with her shot. "'I've got a pair now that were Mama's, and a beautiful little pair of pearl and turquoise ones, I am dying to wear, sighed Rose. Then do it. I'll pierce your ears, and you must wear a bit of silk in them till they are well. Your curls will hide them nicely. Then, some day, slip in your smallest earrings and see if your uncle doesn't like them. I asked him if it wouldn't do my eyes good once, when they were red, and he only laughed. People do cure weak eyes that way, don't they? Yes, indeed, and yours are sort of red. Let me see. Yes, I really think you ought to do it before they get worse, said Annabel, peering into the large, clear eye offered for her inspection. Does it hurt much? asked Rose, wavering. Oh, dear, no. Just a prick and a pull, and it's all over. I've done lots of ears and know just how. Come, push up your hair and get a big needle. I don't quite like to do it without asking Uncle's leave faltered Rose, when all was ready for the operation. "'Did he ever forbid it?' demanded Annabel, hovering over her prey like a vampire. "'No, never.' 
Then do it, unless you are afraid, cried Miss Bliss, bent on accomplishing the deed. That last word settled the matter at once, and closing her eyes, Rose said, Punch! in the tone of one giving the fatal order, Fire! Annabel punched, and the victim bore it in heroic silence, though she turned pale and her eyes were full of tears. There, now pull the bits of silk often and cold cream your ears every night, and you'll soon be ready for the rings, said Annabel, well pleased with her job, for the girl who spoke French with a fine accent lay flat upon the sofa, looking as exhausted as if she had had both ears cut off. It does hurt dreadfully, and I know Uncle won't like it, sighed Rose as remorse began to gnaw. Promise not to tell, or I shall be teased to death, she said anxiously, entirely forgetting the two little pitchers, gifted with eyes as well as ears, who had been watching the performance from afar. Never! Mercy me, what's that? And Annabel started as a sudden sound of steps and voices came up from below. It's the boys! Hide the needle! Do my ears show? Don't breathe a word, whispered Rose, scrambling about to conceal all traces of their iniquity from the clan. Up they came, all in good order, laden with the proceeds of a nutting expedition, for they always reported to Rose and paid tribute to their queen in the handsomest manner. How many, and how big! We'll have a grand roasting frolic after tea, won't we? said Rose, plunging both hands into a bag of glossy brown nuts, while the clan stood at ease and nodded to Annabel. That lot was picked especially for you, Rosie. I got every one myself, and they are extra whackers, said Mac, presenting a bushel or so. You should have seen Giglamps when he was after them. He pitched out of the tree, and would have broken his blessed old neck if Arch had not caught him, observed Steve, as he lounged gracefully in the window seat. You needn't talk, Dandy, when you didn't know a chestnut from a beech and kept on thrashing till I told you of it, retorted Mac, festooning himself over the back of the sofa, being a privileged boy. I don't make mistakes when I thrash you, old worm, so you'd better mind what you are about, answered Steve, without a ray of proper respect for his elder brother. It is getting dark, and I must go, or Mamma will be alarmed, said Annabel, rising in sudden haste though she hoped to be asked to remain to the nut party. No one invited her, and all the while she was putting on her things and chatting to Rose, the boys were telegraphing to one another the sad fact that someone ought to escort the young lady home. Not a boy felt heroic enough to cast himself into the breach, however. Even polite Archie shirked the duty, saying to Charlie, as they quietly slipped into an adjoining room, "'I'm not going to do all the gallivanting,' Let Steve take that chit home and show his manners. I'll be hanged if I do, answered Prince, who disliked Miss Bliss because she tried to be coquettish with him. Then I will, and to the dismay of both recreant lads, Dr. Alec walked out of the room to offer his services to the chit. He was too late, however, for Mac, obeying a look from Rose, had already made a victim of himself and trudged meekly away, wishing the gentle Annabel at the bottom of the Red Sea. Then I will take this lady down to tea, as the other one has found a gentleman to go home with her. I see the lamps are lighted below, and I smell a smell which tells me that Auntie has something extra nice for us tonight, 
As he spoke, Dr. Alec was preparing to carry Rose downstairs, as usual, but Archie and Prince rushed forward, begging with penitent eagerness for the honor of carrying her in an armchair. Rose consented, fearing that her uncle's keen eye would discover the fatal bits of silk, so the boys crossed hands, and taking a good grip of each curly pate, she was borne down in state, while the other boys followed by way of the banisters. Tea was ordered earlier than usual, so that Jamie and his dolly could have a taste, at least, of the holiday fun, for they were to stay till seven, and be allowed twelve roasted chestnuts apiece, which they were under bonds not to eat till next day. Tea was dispatched rapidly, therefore, and the party gathered round the wide hearth to the dining-room, where the nuts were soon dancing gaily on hot shovels, or bouncing out among the company, thereby causing delightful panics among the little ones. "'Come, Rosie, tell us a story while we work, for you can't help much, and must amuse us as your share,' proposed Mac, who sat in the shade, pricking nuts, and who knew by experience what a capital little Scheherazade his cousin was. "'Yes, we poor monkeys can't burn our paws for nothing, so tell away, pussy,' added Charlie, as he threw several hot nuts into her lap and shook his fingers afterwards. "'Well, I happen to have a little story with a moral to it, in my mind, and I will tell it, though it is intended for younger children than you,' answered Rose, who was rather fond of telling instructive tales. "'Fire away,' said Georgie, and she obeyed, little thinking what a disastrous story it would prove to herself." Well, once upon a time a little girl went to see a young lady who was very fond of her. Now the young lady happened to be lame, and had to have her foot bandaged up every day, so she kept a basket full of bandages, all nicely rolled and ready. The little girl liked to play with this basket, and one day, when she thought no one saw her, she took one of the rolls without asking leave and put it in her pocket. Here Pokey, who had been peering lovingly down at the five warm nuts that lay at the bottom of her tiny pocket, suddenly looked up and said, Oh! in a startled tone, as if the moral tale had become intensely interesting all at once. Rose heard and saw the innocent betrayal of the small sinner, and went on in a most impressive manner, while the boys nudged one another and winked as they caught the joke. But an eye did see this naughty little girl, and whose eye do you think it was? I have dawed, murmured conscience-stricken Pokey, spreading two chubby little hands before the round face, which they were not half big enough to hide. Rose was rather taken aback by this reply, but feeling that she was producing a good effect, she added seriously, Yes, God saw her, and so did the young lady, but she did not say anything. She waited to see what the little girl would do about it. She had been very happy before she took the bandage. But when it was in her pocket, she seemed troubled, and pretty soon stopped playing, and sat down in a corner looking very sober. She thought a few minutes, and then went and put back the roll very softly, and her face cleared up, and she was a happy child again. The young lady was glad to see that, and wondered what made the little girl put it back. Tonson's picture, murmured a contrite voice from behind the small hands, pressed tightly over Pokey's red face. "'And why did she take it, do you suppose?' asked Rose, in a schoolmarmish tone, feeling that all the listeners were interested in her tale and its unexpected application. "'It was so nice and wound, and she wanted it deftly,' answered the little voice. "'Well, I'm glad she has such a good conscience. 
The moral is that people who steal don't enjoy what they take, and are not happy till they put it back. What makes that little girl hide her face? asked Rose as she concluded. Me so shamed a pokey, sobbed the small culprit, quite overcome by remorse and confusion at this awful disclosure. Come, Rose, it's too bad to tell her little tricks before everyone and preach at her in that way. You wouldn't like it yourself, began Dr. Alec, taking the weeper on his knee and administering consolation in the shape of kisses and nuts. Before Rose could express her regret, Jamie, who had been reddening and ruffling like a little turkey-cock for several minutes, burst out indignantly, bent on avenging the wound given to his beloved dolly. "'I know something bad that you did, and I'm going to tell right out. You thought we didn't see you, but we did, and you said Uncle wouldn't like it, and the boys would tease, and you made Annabel promise not to tell, and she punched holes in your ears to put earrings in. So now—' And that's much better than to take an old piece of rag, and I hate you for making my pokey cry. Jamie's somewhat incoherent explosion produced such an effect that Pokey's small sin was instantly forgotten, and Rose felt that her hour had come. What, what, what? cried the boys in a chorus, dropping their shovels and knives to gather round Rose, for a guilty clutching at her ears betrayed her with a feeble cry of, Annabel made me. She hid her head among the pillows like an absurd little ostrich. Now she'll go prancing round with bird cages and baskets and carts, for all I know, in her ears, as the other girls do. And won't she look like a goose? asked one tormentor, tweaking a curl that strayed out from the cushions. I didn't think she'd be so silly, said Mac in a tone of disappointment that told Rose she had sunk in the esteem of her wise cousin. That bliss girl's a nuisance, and ought not to be allowed to come here with her nonsensical notions, said the prince, feeling a strong desire to shake that young person, as an angry dog might shake a mischievous kitten. How do you like it, uncle? asked Archie, who believed in preserving discipline at all costs. I am very much surprised, but I see she is a girl, after all, and must have her vanities like all the rest of them, answered Dr. Alec with a sigh, as if he had expected to find Rose a sort of angel, above all earthly temptation. "'What shall you do about it, sir?' inquired Geordie, wondering what punishment would be inflicted on a feminine culprit. "'As she is fond of ornaments, perhaps we had better give her a nose-ring also. I have one somewhere that a Fiji belle once wore. I'll look it up.' And leaving Pokey to Jamie's care, Dr. Alec rose as if to carry out his suggestion." "'Good, good. We'll do it right away. Here's a gimlet. You hold her, boys, while I get her dear little nose all ready,' cried Charlie, whisking away the pillows as the other boys danced about the sofa in true Fiji style. It was a dreadful moment, for Rose could not run away. She could only grasp her precious nose with one hand and extend the other, crying distractedly, "'Oh, uncle, save me, save me!' Of course he saved her and when she was securely barricaded by his strong arm, she confessed her folly in such humiliation of spirit that the lads, after a good laugh at her, decided to forgive her, and lay all the blame on the tempter, Annabel. Even Dr. Alec relented so far as to propose two gold rings for the ears, instead of one copper one for the nose, a proceeding which proved that, if Rose had all the weakness of her sex for jewelry, he had all the inconsistency of his, 
and giving a pretty penitent exactly what she wanted, in spite of his better judgment. End of chapter 15 Recording by Maria Therese